0: Had a little book was given to me And every page spelled liberty All my trials, Lord Soon be over There is a tree in paradise And the pilgrims call it tree of life oh my trials Lord, soon be over but it's too late my friend too late but never mind oh
1: Good morning, Kaisis family. We are back with another episode. We are here with part three on women in ministry. I know we're going slow and steady, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. But before we begin, Abraham, how are you? How's, how's your week been?
2: My um, week's been pretty good. Uh, everything's been going well. Uh, last week, uh, I was able to accept a new job offer, nice. and now I will be starting at the end of this week. So
1: I'm thankful for that.
2: But yeah, everything's been going well.
1: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm excited for you, man. I'm really happy for you. Um, Let us know next (laughs) week whether you still have the job or not. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I'm messing with you. All right. So we're going to continue with this series. And we are intentionally looking at the Old Testament to see where this prohibition of women in ministry comes from. Because we have to remind ourselves, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of the new covenant and its life comes from the Old Testament. Sorry. Yeah, it comes from the Old Testament. So I want to see, is there any stories? Is there any command? Where did this prohibition of women in ministry come from? And we saw last week the story of Adam and Eve, an important story, a very essential story, because even the Apostle Paul referenced it. But as we saw last week, Adam and Eve, has nothing to do with hierarchy or, or roles or anything like that. So we we got we got to this conclusion. Paul must be using that story differently. But what about the other Old Testament stories? What do they tell us about women in ministry? And that's what we're gonna do today. So Abraham, do you have any initial thoughts before we get right into it?
2: Yeah, you know we know that the Old Testament has a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot of characters. You know, some are t- talked about more than others. But there's also, you know, great stories uh, of women that, you know, I think have either been overlooked or underappreciated. So I'm excited to to see some of these female characters today.
1: Exactly. So fun fact, in the whole Old Testament, it's a huge book. In the whole Old Testament, there is not one verse that prohibits women from teaching, preaching or prophesying. Um although it is very true that the Old Testament is very male-focused and it takes place in a patriarchal world, um, and the characters and the stories found in them do function within a patriarchal framework, and it's very male-focused, once again. It's, as, as we saw last week, the, this male-focused patriarchal structures are, are frankly a product of, of the fall. We saw that. Um, this language of, of men ruling over women not the ideal but rather a product of sin and brokenness but but nonetheless nonetheless despite the old testament and its stories and its characters being male focused and patriarchal we have these glimpses these moments where women are mentioned and they're and they're mentioned in a way where they play powerful prophetic roles the first one being miriam the sister of moses and aaron and in Exodus chapter 15, verses 20 to 21, look how Miriam is, is, is described. It says, Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So, so first thing is the obvious one. Miriam is identified as a prophet. But, but secondly, look what she does. She leads people into song, both men and women who have been rescued. And notice who else in the Bible leads people into song? People like Moses, people like David. And here we see Miriam doing exactly the same thing, leading people into song to reflect on the goodness of God. In his, in his saving act on Israel. But, but before we reduce Miriam's leadership role as, ah, oh, you know, she was just like a helper. She just helped with the singing. No, let's take a moment to look at what prophets said afterwards. Let's take a closer look into the prophet Micah. Hundreds of years afterwards. Micah chapter 6 verse 4. He's describing God's saving act to Israel. And he says, I brought you up out of Egypt. And redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Hold up. Uh, Hold up for a second. Moses makes sense, right? He's the guy that goes up to the mountain and brings back the law. Aaron, sure, I mean, priesthood stuff makes sense, but why is Miriam tagged into this? Here, Micah is describing, this is how God has saved you. He brought you out of Egypt and gave you the people to save you, to lead you through the desert. And the people that led them through the desert is both Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In other words, in the mind of the prophet Micah, Miriam played an equal role alongside Aaron in leading Israel out of the desert. And her role is not negative, but simply is described as a matter of fact. God used a woman alongside a man to save his people. So Abraham, is, isn't the passage of Micah, like, interesting that Miriam is mentioned right alongside alongside her brothers?
2: Yes, super interesting detail, you know, that I believe is, is overlooked or, you know, just sometimes not just not talked about. Um But I I was reading uh, Micah chapter 6. And the way the chapter starts is listen to what the Lord says. So this is God speaking to Israel through through the prophet Micah. And it's God who brings up that Miriam was sent by him. So God himself sees Moses, Aaron, and Miriam as leaders that he provided for
1: Israel's rescue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, this next character, Ron. You know me, right? I, I really love this character. And it's Deborah. And fun fact, I, I work with, uh, with with children, uh, refugee children from Burma or Myanmar. And one of them, they have a younger sister and they don't say Deborah. They actually say it Deborah. So actually, that's like, it's gotten to the point where everything, every time I talk about Deborah, I, I'm very tempted to say Deborah. But Deborah, remind me, Iran, if I get this wrong, all right? Yeah. But she She's fascinating because she is the first and only female judge and prophetess. And the only other judge who was also a prophet was Samuel. And when we read the story of Deborah, it's fascinating. She judged Israel for 40 years. She freed Israel from oppressors through a guy named Barak, and there was peace in the land. And wow, my goodness, one of my biggest pet peeves there's like this, this huge misconception surrounding the story of Deborah, that God raised a woman because there was no men. So God raising Deborah was an act of judgment. And we we, we did a podcast about that. So I encourage you to uh, to, to go back and and listen to it. We, I go into a little bit more detail into it. But to read this story, the story of Deborah negatively, it's complete eisegesis. Because if you read the story, Deborah is not God's judgment. It's God's salvation, God's help, God's rescue for Israel. And unlike a bunch of the other judges, nothing bad is said of her. You know, Samson failed. Even Samuel. Samuel had terrible children and, and, and fell short in his ministry. The only this is Deborah is one of the few judges that nothing bad is said about her. And that that, that for me is just, it's just weird to, to read this story negatively. Um, On top of that, when you read um, Judges chapter 4 verse 5, there's this interesting picture around. It says, and they came up to Deborah for judgment. That language, they came up to Deborah for judgment, is the same language that's used of Israel going up to Moses for judgment. So once again, Deborah is this type of Moses in Israel's wilderness, leading, guiding, and instructing, and in the same way, that, 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 that the prophet and judge Samuel would counsel uh, King Saul, Deborah here is instructing Barak to military victory. And if you know the story of, of Deborah, she is the only judge with a song. And as we just talked about, key figures in the story of the Bible had songs. Moses, Miriam, David, and later on, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In in this song, Abraham, this song of Deborah, Abraham, it's very interesting the, the song of victory and praise to God has this language of Deborah being a leader and is she is also described as the mother of Israel. These are not derogatory titles at all, but rather are a recognition of what Deborah did and who she is. When you take a closer look at her ministry and her song, notice that there is no shame on Israel for having a women leader opposite. There is just an expression of praise that God has used Deborah as a means for their salvation. So I, I just find that very fascinating. Abraham, what, what, do you, what do you think about the story of Deborah? Yeah,
2: great story. And I would recommend, you know, everyone to read it. You know Judges, It starts in Judges chapter 4. And as I was reading, you know, her, her story, some, some verses really stood out. You know, verse 3 says that Israel cried to the Lord for help. Because they were being oppressed, and in the following verse, verse four, Deborah is introduced as a prophet leading Israel at the time. So she's meant to be seen as the help that uh, the help that the Lord is going to be providing Israel. And you know, as you were talking as well, um, she gives Barak a command to lead Israel against their enemy. You know that they're being oppressed by, and it's very interesting because look what Barak says. He says to Deborah, "If you go with me, I will go." But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And Deborah responds, "Certainly, I will go with you." Um, so Deborah is seen as, as a reliable leader. You know, we see a nation and a military leader put their trust on her, and you know, she's also a prophet. She's also uh, God's spokeswoman in this story. So we see nothing in fear about her, or her being like subordinate to a man, or something, or even the accusations of this is God's judgment on Israel that He's using a woman. We don't see anything like that. And also, just like a quick fun fact about uh, the story, the enemy that's being that's oppressing Israel is defeated by a woman. Her name was Jael, um, J-A-E-L. And Deborah prophesies beforehand that it's going to be a woman who is going to be defeating
1: their enemy. Yeah fascinating man but like, once again when you read that story independently of any other voice or just just read it on your own without any outside voices it nothing negative about a woman leading. but i want i want to address that real quick Abraham, about women leading is an act of god's judgment because you know where that comes from it comes from isaiah chapter 3 verse 12 and and we once again we did a Kaisis episode on this already and i encourage you to, to go back and listen but for those of you that that May not remember um, Isaiah chapter three verse twelve. It goes, "My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them." Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. You, you, you can imagine, what part of that uh, that verse people really hang on to, huh? Mm-hmm. Women rule over them, and they're like, "Aha!" Uh-huh. Even Isaiah gets it—that women leading, just it, it, they mislead you and it just leads to corruption or just leads to bad leadership. And once again please go back to the Kaisis episode where we talk about this because I go into much more detail but just to summarize this is actually a difficult verse to translate. Because that the word used for woman can also be translated as a lender or a creditor. And we actually go into the into the the original language as well. Um Fun, uh, I just find it funny because the, the difference between those two words, woman or lender, is actually one vowel point, Abraham. Look at this. The word woman is Nashim, and the word for lender is shim. Just one vowel point. And when it comes to the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, the version that Jesus and the apostles used, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12 is actually translated as lender. And lenders rule over them. So without getting into more detail, context is key. This is a very difficult verse to translate. Context is key. And the context of that whole passage of Isaiah chapter 3 is is, is that God is judging leaders for having taken advantage of the poor. And this is very interesting because... Besides verse twelve, Isaiah, Isaiah three is about leaders oppress the poor. They they take advantage of the poor. They exploit the poor. So so when you when you start seeing the context, the, you realize that the word women is actually like off. Why 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 would it's just weird lender or creditor makes more sense that they would be taking advantage of the poor, exploiting the poor. That makes more sense than the. Than the, than the word woman. So I think the Septuagint gets it right in identifying that this is a lender, this is a creditor. And Isaiah, simply what he is doing in, in chapter 3 is that he is showing the need for a better and greater leader who will not abuse the people of God and lead and, and will also lead God's people back to God. So all, all, all this to say, everyone for people to use this verse, as like a proof text and to say, this is, this is it. This is all we need. I just find it strange that even if you take the position that the word of woman is here, Isaiah prohibits something that not even the law prohibits, which I just find just, just strange, man. Doesn't, doesn't make much sense to me. So I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. It just shows that, you know, translation can, can be tricky, right? Just translating yeah. these, these texts. Um, but also, like, if, if we're trying to be consistent with this argument, right, based on this passage, then I think we should also see infants in a negative way, you know, <laughs> or even as inferiors, you know, since they're oppressors in, in this passage. But no one, again, no one takes this view. You know, like you said, they just like to pinpoint the, the woman part. But, you know, I think we should contextualize and, you know, do some research uh, in regards to, to some what some of these passages are actually trying to say.
1: No, Exactly. Now, I get it. Stories like that of Miriam, Deborah, Esther, and Isaiah's prophetesses, uh, they're, they're rare. Women playing these powerful prophetic roles, they're, they're rare. They're, they're certainly not the norm, and thats the, I'm going to be upfront and honest about that for sure. But when we get to a prophet like Joel, all right, the prophet Joel, when you get to the book of Joel, he, he he's reflecting on Israel's plight. He's reflecting on Israel's struggle. They they're surrounded by enemies. They are constantly um, confronting this threat of death. So what is their hope? And and as he's meditating on this in Joel chapter two verse twenty six, look what he says. He says God comes to the rescue. He says you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again. Will my people be shamed? And this is a preface, right, to what's about to come. Part of the wonders that God will do is the famous passage, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. It says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So, if you are familiar with the Old Testament story, you will know that the spirit would usually fill kings, prophets, and priests, and some others like the temple or tabernacle builders. But notice that here that in in, in Joel's vision, both men and women participate in this filling of the spirit. In other words, people like Miriam, Deborah, and Isaiah's prophetess, they, 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 they will not be rare, but rather in this new kingdom in this new reality in this new covenant people like Miriam and Deborah will now be the norm and Joel sees nothing negative about women participating in this ministry of prophet he sees nothing negative about women being these authoritative messengers of god so i just once again if joel sees this new covenant reality where both men and women are authoritative messengers of god why do we see it as negative that women are authoritative messengers of god i don't know so abraham isn't isn't joel talking about the the new covenant age so what does it say about women today
2: yeah, and, and we see that the, the Apostle Peter sees the fulfillment of this prophecy on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes down on believers, you know, both mm. men and women. We see Peter stand, stands up and, and recites this passage. Um, so in the New Covenant age and, and Jesus' ministry, we see that he allows for the Holy Spirit to now dwell on men and women, not just specific individuals, like you said, that we saw in the, in the Old Testament. So women are actually elevated in Jesus' new covenant. You know, they're able to share in God's spirit and they aren't seen as inferiors or subordinates.
1: Yeah. Undoing that that Adam and Eve story, right? Undoing mm-hmm. the fall, undoing the curse, exactly. So just to conclude, I know I know it was a short episode today, but I really want you to take part in this journey. Because for me, it's not just, hey, let's check out the hard passages, First Timothy, First Corinthians, Titus. No, 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 no. We have to see those three passages in light of the bigger picture. And I think this is part of it. And I hope that what you got today is that the Old Testament, not one place, give me one verse, never prohibits nor says anything negative about women teaching. On the contrary, individuals like Miriam and Deborah serve as positive examples of women leading and being authoritative messengers of God. So, Going back to that original question, where is the prohibition of women in ministry come from? Not from the Old Testament, that's for sure. So, in the next two weeks, what we're going to do is that we're finally going to get to the New Testament, and next week we're going to specifically engage in how Jesus interacts with women, and we're going to answer maybe some 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 common misconceptions that that that, that come with it. So, that's for next week. But anyway, Ab- anyways, Abraham, any any final thoughts before we close today?
2: You know, in the Old Testament, we actually see men oppressing women. We don't see God oppressing women in the Old Testament. Instead, we see see stories of God rescuing women, God using women to lead, to rescue, to prophesy. Mm -hmm. And even today, right, we see that God has poured out His Spirit upon women. Um, So it's just interesting to, to see that.
1: Yeah, right. All the abuse, the ruling, the subjugating, that comes from the from fallen sons of Adam, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not from not from the God who wants to undo that. So so we're gonna explore that. And, and and I invite you to see this subject through a bigger lens, through a story lens. So uh, next two weeks, we're gonna talk about Jesus and how he interacts with women. So thank you very much, and I'll see y'all next week. Oh
0: trials, Lord. Soon be over. There is a tree in paradise, and the pilgrims call it the tree of life. It's too late my friend, too late, but never mind. All oh, my trials, Lord, soon be over. If religion were a thing that money could buy, then the rich would leave and the poor would die. Oh.